episode 28 of Girl Mode. I'm one of your hosts, Robin B. And I'm Lila Rowe. It's been uh, another fucked up week, Willa. I feel like most episodes of our podcast could start that way, of just like, wow, huh, pretty traumatic week to be living in the world. Yep. For um, so many reasons. For so many reasons. I will say this, we did not talk about this before, but um, I'm sure you also were watching the uh, collapse of uh, democracy unfolding in Montana. Yes, uh, I where, was. Which, I don't know, I'm bringing up because I, you know, I have to. It's it's mm-hmm. like we, we mentioned when she was elected, she was the, the first out trans woman to be elected to the, the, the state house there. And it was like... I don't know. It this, was is, really... this is Zoe Zephyr again, by the way. This is Zoe Zephyr. Did I not say that? This is Zoe no. Zephyr. <laughs> this is Zoe Zephyr, yes. Who, yeah, I mean, she was elected to the state house. And we mentioned on the show, like, it was a very, I don't know, it was, it was like kind of a bright moment in what has been a pretty extremely bad year when it comes to uh, legislation around trans people. And she has not stopped being inspiring at all. Mm-hmm. Like, she has remained, like, an incredible figure who is, like, fearlessly speaking up for the community and someone who like i and i'm assuming like basically every trans person who's paying attention like looks up to you greatly like i she really gives me hope that is much needed right now and like explicitly for that reason she has been like censured by the uh republican supermajority in montana so she was no longer allowed to like basically have any presence in in the process aside from casting votes like remotely for um the remainder of their legislative session, which sucks. I mean, like I saw that news that day and just like went to bed. It was it's just like, it, it was terrible. I mean, it's like, and this is also part of a pattern, right? We saw this with like the Tennessee three who were mm-hmm. kicked out of their legislature for protesting gun violence by Republicans across the country. This is like becoming a very common tactic of Republicans of just like, if you are a marginalized person and you speak up for your own community they will use this like broken arcane process to remove you from like your democratically elected position and completely disenfranchise all of your constituents, which is insane and a really dark pattern. But I guess, I don't know. The other reason I wanted to mention this is just to say like, despite all of that shit, Zoe Zephyr has continued to be like an incredible figure throughout all of this. Like rather than going and retreating to some back office like they wanted her to, she just sat in the hallway and continued to, continued to do her work so she could yeah. like be visible. And like, Which they tried to say that she couldn't. Which they tried to say she couldn't. And she was like, mm-hmm. no, you don't have a made up rule to force me this time. So yeah. I'm going to stay here. And then like a day or two after that happened, um, a clerk of one of her the committees that she was previously on quit her job to join Zoe's staff as mm-hmm. she's like seeking re-election for the next next session. Um, and just this morning, there was a video going around of her returning to Missoula, which is part of her, which is where she represents. And just this massive crowd of people just, just so, so enthusiastic about her and cheering for her. And just like, yeah, again, it's just like, I can't overstate how much throughout this whole process, she has remained like the absolute picture of, of dignity and power and like some someone who like i think we desperately need right now (laughs) like like to see a trans woman standing up to all of this shit and just like absolutely refusing for a single fucking second to give them any ground you know yeah to like to remain like this like incredibly inspirational figure it's just like it's like even in in the midst of all this darkness it is it's it's just so wonderful to see someone like that finally representing us because like this is the kind of like courage that so many trans people have had to have quietly in our daily lives for so long and to see that like playing out on like a national stage now is just like 
the hopeful part of me hope like you know likes to think that it could signal like another a further shift toward trans representation and, and toward people like taking these issues seriously and no longer being willing to pretend that Republicans care about the things that they pretend to care about and mm-hmm. exposing them for the like fascists that they are. And even if that doesn't come to pass, it's like, it's still very, it's great to see. It's just, it's just on a, if, if, if politically that doesn't happen, it's still personally very great to see a trans woman standing up and, and claiming that strength and protecting her community. Yeah. It's honest. It's very awe-inspiring. Yeah. I mean, another yeah, Bad that news. came out of nowhere. Sorry, I did not intend to ramble about that. But, um, no, that's fine. But that was part of the backdrop of this very fucked up week. More more to the, the point of what this podcast is supposedly about, one of the more fucked up things that happened this week, and in fact, in quite a while, was, I'm sure you've seen it, uh, if you're listening to this, there's like absolutely no way you haven't heard this already, <laughs> but Waypoint is being shut down. Uh, as of June 2nd, I believe they said it's the last day that that site will exist, yep. which also means the Waypoint podcast is going away. And I I, I don't know how much time we're going to spend on this because it's a gigantic bummer, um, mm-hmm. but we did at least want to mention it because like, we've both referenced Waypoint uh, an uncountable Multiple number times, of times yeah. on the show. Like As I said, I don't remember if this was on our show or when we went to press start, but... Um, like listening to Waypoint and and reading that when Waypoint convinced me that this was a valuable career to be doing, like that there was a need for for critical writing about games and writing that takes like both the medium and the industry seriously, and that there was a space for marginalized people in that. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there is a like a games journalist working right now who takes their job seriously who was not inspired by Waypoint in like a major way. So it is like. In a year that's already been extremely rough in terms of layoffs, and I don't just say that because I was hit by one, but like a lot of them have been extremely dispiriting. This feels like, and the way that I've seen a lot of people talk about it on social media is like, it really feels like the end of an era it of, does. of this yeah. kind of writing being supported by major publications. Something that was like really struck me about it is, you know, not that like a lot of my family and friends don't necessarily fully understand the job still. But mm-hmm. it's like one of the things they would always ask me is um, during my time at Inverse right now, they'll be like, if you were to like go somewhere else or like kind of like go a rung up the ladder, so to speak, they're like, where would you want to go? And I was like, well, there's only a handful of places that mm-hmm. I feel like really represent the kind of journalism and criticism that I want to do. And it's like, I would like to go to like Launcher or uh waypoint and in the course of like a couple of months both of those places are gone Mm -hmm. and it's just it's it's so horrible to just have these places that do seem like the bastion of what the best version of this job is disappear the same with the fanbite last year like it's every time like there is one of these aspirational Mm -hmm. publications it's they are the ones that are least valued by Mm -hmm. As we talked about, like in the like sad layoff episode, it's like the people making decisions about these sites are have nothing to do with the actual work. So they just they they simply do not value Mm -hmm. the work that's being done. And I think, you know, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is the fact that, you know, so many people have been talking about how the team at Waypoint 
was like so inspirational. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of people were circulating like Austin Walker's original kind of like mission statement where it was like, you know, a waypoint is like a beacon in the dark saying that we will like, we're not afraid to like go into this and explore. And like kind of the idea that they wanted to be like a pinnacle of what games journalism and writing about games should be. And they were that for so many Mm -hmm. people. And, and I think that, you know, by and large, so many games journalists and critics are inspired by Waypoint. And something that I've been thinking about a lot is that, you know, we've all been talking about how it seems like it's like the nail in the coffin for this era of games journalism. And I think there's something to clarify about that, that I think is so it's even more upsetting kind of, is that it's not a lack of talent or desire on the part of writers across like the world in so many newsrooms actively working like i think there's so many people who want to be doing the work that waypoint does and it's just that that the way that the outlets that are able to stay alive the way they run is contingent on not doing the kind of work that stuff like waypoint does so it's like even though there's such a passion and such a desire to do that kind of work often you're just not given the chance which is heartbreaking to think like one of the things that i saw is i forget who said it but i'll try to find it later and like Mm -hmm. put in the show notes but uh something they said was basically like the greatest loss in waypoint ending is the generation of writers who will never be able to be inspired by the likes of waypoint again yeah because it's like so many of us and so many of the best writers that exist today are there because of Waypoint. And it's like, well, now we, we to continue that metaphor, we don't have that beacon. Yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's really, it's really depressing. There's like, I don't know. There's like, there's no, there's no way to look at it that isn't like tragic. And, and like you said, yeah, it has nothing to do with like there being a lack of talent or like desire to do this kind of work. Like just look at you know, publications like Unwinnable or something where it's like, Mm -hmm. if you have any doubt that there's, that there is a wealth of writers who want to do this kind of work, like look to all of these sites that are actually publishing it. The difference is that Waypoint was a site that did that like top tier work and was also backed by a a major publication. It was a place you could like, you know, get a full-time job and like work there and have the support, like the backing uh, of, of that organization. Whereas the the writing is still being done, it's just being done on an extremely individual level and by people with like no institutional backing. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, I mean, it, it's not that the desire isn't there. It's just that like you can't make a living doing it. And that unfortunately makes it like impossible for some people to reach, you know, um, you either need to like have some way of supporting yourself on your own, you know, without working or work another job and somehow scrape together like the mental bandwidth to continue writing after that, you know, it's, I don't know. I I think about this, like when in both of our like criticism of the games industry and the games media, it is like so rarely actually criticism of the people on the ground doing the work. Like it is much more often, like, like when we criticize a developer, it is almost always the people in charge of that studio and not like the individual, you know, programmers and artists and everything else. Mm-hmm. And it's very similar with the media. It's like the writers are they're there, like the people doing the work are there. But it's just that like the incentive structure for the, you know, the moneyed class that is running these things has puts no value on the quality of the work. So it's like it's it's criticism of the like, I don't know, the vultures who are who are 
getting rich off the work of other people. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I have obviously a lot of feelings, but a lot of it is just going to be rehashing stuff Mm -hmm. because, man, I mean, we did a whole episode about this when you were laid off. And then on top of that, I think about we talked about this kind of stuff before when Launcher closed, maybe, or... Yeah. We've talked about this multiple times. It's like, oh, it's so hard to feel like we're just going in circles about it. But, you know, you know, I think on that point or on that note, I just want to like move on to the next thing, which is still still involved with Waypoint. (laughs) I think it was literally like the day before this happened. Patrick Klepek posted a really good article um, that I was fascinated by, uh, which was called Star Wars Jedi Survivor is coming in very hot, but Dark Souls and Star Wars is still fun. And this was like, it was kind of like said to be a quote unquote review, mm-hmm. although it's much more a just like kind the of best like, kind of review is a quote unquote review. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's this is the kind of stuff again, it's like you you see this and you're like, oh, fuck, that's the kind of stuff that I want to do. Mm-hmm. But it's like it it was much more than that. It was a kind of critique of the state of what it's like to review a triple A game as a games journalist, which like. I know for a fact it's, both you and I have like so many thoughts on this because yeah. we've dealt with this stuff and we deal with it all the time. If you have never like been on the inside of this, it is like mm-hmm. probably shocking to, to learn the process for these things. Yeah. And so basically like the way that uh, Klepik writes about it is he talks about how, you know, he gets the code for Jedi uh, Survivor like about a week before the game comes out and it's a very long it's like a tens of hours game because it's like a metroidvania dark souls kind of game and he's playing through it and has this kind of like crisis because he's like well the developers have said there's a bunch of bugs that are just going to get patched out immediately when the game launches so um he talks about it's like i'm playing a version of the game that only exists for me. Mm-hmm. So then what is the point of my review if it's not the experience that players will have? Yeah. And just the way that publishers kind of like force us into this weird cycle. And like that's a very common thing. It's like you'll get an early build of a game that's going to get a day one update. And like when you get the copy of the game to review, it will include like a, gen- a note from the the publisher that's like hey we know it has this bug and this bug and this bug and like don't mention that in your review because it's going to get patched out and it's like one of the many ways in which the games media is like way too cozy with game publishing Mm -hmm. is we all just have to take them for their word right because if we publish a review and mention those things and they are actually patched out it looks like we don't know what we're talking about. So you have to err on the side of of believing them, but mm-hmm. then you run the risk of not mentioning a bug that is actually severe and isn't fixed. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just another one of those strange parts of the process that like are completely invisible to the outside, but are like extremely common. Like everybody has had this experience. Mm-hmm. And it's also just one of those things that like, you know, it it makes for such a bad playing experience, like by and large with games when you mm-hmm. get it like a week or yeah. So like too often the weekend before the embargo and it's like you have to play this 40 hour game and get a review up. And if you don't get the review up on embargo, then it's kind of like, well, why did I even write it? Because it's not getting the traffic. Mm -hmm. 
which speaks to like the perverse incentive of mm-hmm. the games media because to get the traffic you need to get it up and so there's there's just no time good mm-hmm. criticism takes a backseat to quick criticism that's the thing is like it's such a weird concept and in some ways like in some ways you would think that almost it would hurt publishers more because it's like so often little issues get so much more frustrating when you're on such a hard deadline and such a quick turnaround because you know you have no time and so any little frustration feels like world ending yeah and it just makes good games it's like that pace you know Mm -hmm. having to squeeze in like all of this playtime into like a week if you're playing a, a game that like if you had a month to play it that might feel great and like paced perfectly and all this stuff. But if it's packed into a couple of days, the pace feels terrible. Like that does hurt it. Like I, I, I saw, um, I know Geo over at Digital Trends and I'm sure other people have been saying, making that exact point where it's like, this actually isn't good for publishers either. Mm-hmm. Cause there are like, there are definitely games that I scored worse than I would have if I had more time because of that. Cause it's like when you're playing it in a rush, all of those problems feel so magnified and concentrated. Whereas if you have a little more time to breathe the way that like you're supposed to be experiencing these things, they feel less that way. It, it's, it feels sometimes like if you're uh, like a, a film critic and you were watching the movie on like 1.5 speed or something, you know, like the, it's just it's just not the same experience. I mean, yeah. And that's something that Klepek talks about again is he was offered preview access to the Last of Us series. Mm-hmm. And he talks about this thing that TV criticism has to deal with a lot of time where they get episodes before they're finished. So it's mm-hmm. just like these really weird kind of simul- uh, simulacrums of the actual series because they have like no special effects and they're yeah. just like on green screen and stuff. Um, I remember uh, when Our Flag Means Death comes out, some people were talking about the preview like of that of that series and how there were just parts of when they're on a little boat and they're just like on a tarmac of blue and they're just like this is so weird that's wild yeah but yeah i mean as like as a critic it's such a weird thing because it is this thing that where it's like it's like what you said you know fast criticism takes the it's it's wanted more than good criticism sometimes Mm -hmm. which is frustrating to say the least yeah Another thing that that Patrick mentions in this piece talking about like reviewing movies or or TV specifically is the idea that like when critics review TV shows, they generally don't even see the full season. They'll have like four episodes out of a, you know, 10 episode season or something and review that. And that's like just standard practice. Like that is just how it is for every show, basically. And he makes the point that like, you know, maybe there is reason to do something to to. Mm-hmm. sort of take on that model for games criticism where if you're playing a, a 90 hour game do you need to play all 90 hours of it or can you actually get enough of an idea to to write good criticism from playing half of that or a quarter of that or whatever which again like another like look behind the scenes thing nobody has ever finished every game they've reviewed it just doesn't <laughs> it if you say that you have your fucking line quiet shush it's <laughs> the gamers will come for us i don't give a shit yeah. I, I don't have a job anymore they can't do anything anyway but it's just like there's there's just not enough time in the day mm-hmm. and at a certain point like it depends on the game right if you're playing like a game that's like you're focusing on the story then yeah you're gonna play the whole thing or whatever but if you're playing a game that's like a, a repetitive mechanical experience there's no reason to do that you know, go through that gameplay loop a thousand times versus 500 times, right? Like you, you can 
write criticism about a game that you have not finished. It's just that we have this weird idea that like, and I think it's tied to the the idea that games criticism is more about product reviews than about like arts criticism. But yeah. we have this idea that you have to see it front to back and then you can like write about this whole product as 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 an entire piece. And that that also I think contributes to worse criticism. Mm-hmm. Which is why we need more waypoints, but you know <laughs> Sadly, as we've already covered, is not yeah. happening. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I guess that's just mm-hmm. it. Like, just RIP Waypoint. It was it was a great site. It, I, yeah, I I just I, I, one more thing to cap it off is just saying. Um, I think I, I saw Austin Walker tweet the other day of when the site first launched, like talking about how like you know with that whole like manifesto of what Waypoint was, and they said like if we make it two years, this will be a success, and like we'll be happy with this. And he posted something to the effect of like. When two years felt like more time than we'd get, that sounded great. But now I want it to last forever. And it seems like it's hardly anything. And that just, I just really feel that, you know, yeah. it's, uh, it's this thing that was like, so it seems so improbable and so such a wild risk to take. And then it became like an absolute like pillar of, of, of the scene. And now it's gone. And actually, okay. I do have one more thing to say, which is I, another comment that i i saw on twitter was and again i I can't remember who made this tweet i'll try to find it before we post this but basically the idea that like the the state of like games media is is swings like a pendulum and we are like when waypoint was formed we it started maybe this this era where good critical writing was valued and like intelligent reporting was valued and it feels like the not just valued but able to be sustained and able to like run a site and be profitable and it seems like the pendulum has swung the other way now where the suits have decided that like it's not profitable and it's not worth doing and so let's shut everything down and put everybody out of a job and the pendulum will swing back we will get to a point where someone gets this idea again and says like you know what we can make this work there's room for for good writing on games and we think we have a way to like make it sustainable we will get to that point again like it's it's just the way that media works is like it comes in these phases but that doesn't discount the the harm that's done in the meantime. Like there are going to be so many people who never get a chance of starting this career, who have a career and then lose it and just just don't get to do that work that they should have been doing because they happen to be in a phase where that stuff isn't valued, you know? And it's like at, a, yeah, at some point it'll come back, but that that doesn't make things any easier for the people living through it. And it, it does still mean like, people's lives are going to be completely thrown away for it and it's that's that's just that's the tragedy of it like it can be easy to forget about the people doing this work and only to value the work itself and i think it's it's important to remember that like there are folks whose lives depend on this stuff whose you know whose livelihoods depend on this stuff which you know given our society also means their lives and it's yeah i don't know it's just it's it will come back and we will be glad to see it come back but but there will be people lost along the way and people who could have had incredible things to say that we'll never know. And that's like, that is part of what should be mourned when we lose sites like Waypoint. Mm-hmm. I guess one last thing that I'll say also is like, we don't know exactly like where people will end up. We don't know how many of them will stay in games journalism. Uh, but I feel this way after every layoff and stuff. If you like a website or and it's writing, like it's that's not a website. That's a, pe- a person. Those are the people. Mm-hmm. Follow the people that you like. Know yeah. who writes the stuff you like and just keep supporting them wherever they go and whatever they do. Because yeah. it's not the sites, it's the people. 
Yeah, I had, I mean, when I got laid off, I had like a bunch of people who I had, had never spoken to before who like, I had probably maybe never even noticed my work before, but a bunch of people reach out to me and say like, hey, this sucks. And like, I'm sorry this happened. And like, I, I hope it gets better for you. And that was like, that was such a meaningful thing to have that connection with people realizing that like, there's a person behind these articles and that their life is being affected. So I don't know, maybe keep that in mind too. when the next time this happens, because it's going to keep happening. It's mm -hmm. like, if you've liked somebody's work, like tell them that, you know, it's, it really, really means the world to, to people who do this stuff. Yeah. Um, so should yeah, we talk about the mech point. game? Yeah. So to, to sort of, um, see waypoint off, yeah. we've decided, uh, the best way for us to do that in our, our measly little way is to completely rip off a bit that, uh, that Patrick and Austin used to do a lot in particular, which is um, the, the biggest good news in gaming this week was the, uh, the launch of the Armored Core 6 gameplay trailer, mm -hmm. which is fucking exciting. We must have talked about this at some point before on the show in some manner. I think we mentioned it in our, like, looking forward to 2023. Okay. FromSoft is one of my favorite developers. Mechs are my favorite thing. I love mechs. I love mech games. I love thinking about sitting in a mech and pushing buttons and pulling levers <laughs> and, and having a giant, a giant sorry. mechanical no, body. I'm sorry. So you just, you just, you know, you think about pushing buttons and levers inside giant yeah. max. That's, is mm -hmm. that your happy place? Yeah. Cool. Every time I'm driving, I'm pretending that I'm piloting a Mac. It's true. I want to have a big impervious metal body. Okay. It's the dream. It's the dream. But so when Armored Core 6 was announced, I was insanely excited mm. uh, as like a lot of people were. And then this gameplay trailer dropped, but I think it came out on that same day that it was it, did. it was either the day that Waypoint closed or the day that Zoe Zephyr was censured. It was the day Waypoint was, closed. So it was the day that I was very depressed. And I I saw that it happened and I was like, I can't watch this yet because I'm too depressed and I don't want to ruin my impression of it mm -hmm. by being depressed. So I put it off. And then this morning, I realized that I still hadn't watched it and that we were recording today. So I figured the thing we should do is watch it live and then we can talk about what we saw. You have seen this already. I have. But I have not. Okay. So we're going to watch the trailer and then, yeah, hopefully this will turn into a salvageable segment. We'll find out. Stay tuned. Cool. Um, okay. Are you you're going to watch this with me? Do you have yeah. it pulled up? I have it pulled up. Okay. I guess we could let's, just do a time.is. We could just do a time.is. We already have it open. Yeah. Are so you let's ready? Push, yeah. Let's push play at 15. Sounds good. Play. Mm -hmm. So excited about it. It's so fun just to watch you watch it. I, yeah. It's like watching dog. <laughs> There's a dog in this game? Yes. I just love the design of the spaceship. It's so good. All of the, the bits are breaking off of mm -hmm. it. Feed of the fire. Ooh, that's cool. Look at how like dystopian this uh, like working factory aesthetic yeah. is. <laughs> there is so much like industrial wasteland around Pittsburgh that looks exactly like this. God, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, that's that is one of the things I love about Max is that insane difference in scale. Uh-huh. Oh, it's so zippy. 
That's cool. Missile cannons on the back and like the railgun on the arm. Yeah. I love it. Ooh, what the fuck? It's like a roly poly. It's like a one of the droids from the bad Star Wars movies. <laughs> Hell yes. Ooh, I love that fucking tank too. It's a tank with like a sniper rifle, but also yes. a rocket launcher. Wow. Okay, I love the laser whip. Love the snake machine. Oh, this this little cutie. Look at this. Gender envy. <laughs> That's my new transition goal. Mm. Ooh. I just love all these fucking robots. Yeah. What the fuck? That is a near automata machine right there. It really is. Did you know about the release date? Um, I did. I mean, I saw it when the trailer launched. Yeah. Okay. So, what um, do you think? So that fucking ripped. Yeah, it's really interesting. I one thing that I really was curious about was because they said that it wasn't like this isn't Souls. This mm-hmm. isn't a Soulsborne game. So I was really curious what like FromSoft DNA there was going to be in there. And I think that's it's very interesting seeing like obviously much faster than any FromSoft game. Um, like I think even Bloodborne, which is probably like the the, the most like high speed game, didn't emphasize like that that speed in that way of like you know having a rocket booster makes you makes you much more maneuverable. It turns out I really lo- but yeah I don't know. So it's interesting to see what makes it feel like a FromSoft game, and I feel like there's some elements you can already see in this trailer, like the giant bosses with like incredibly complex uh, like attack animations. There's clearly like a lot of like pattern you know, figuring out patterns and stuff, mm-hmm. the mismatch between what you have equipped and what your enemies have equipped, where it's just like different orders of different like genres of of capabilities, right? Also like the you customize are... the customization that it seems like you're able to do mm-hmm. with your Mac. Yeah. There's... Something that struck me about it is the the game that I was thinking about a lot when watching this the first time and again this time is the the movement reminds me a lot of Vanquish, kind of. Hmm, it's just yeah. so high, high like speed, and yeah. it's about this like maneuverability and almost like boosting around. It's despite it being a mech game, which I feel like mechs typically have this like connotation of almost like this heavy slow movement. It looks so fast paced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the oh, God, I really love the like diversity of the robot designs. Mm-hmm. Like that's another thing when you have mech games like. Uh, you know, like Mech Warrior, like Mech Warrior was a very recent example of like they tend to be just the big stompy, you know, mech with like guns strapped everywhere. And there's all kinds of different things. So there's a, there's one on tank treads, which is very cool. The yeah, like the difference in scale of them is like very important. There's like some of this one has like a blue laser sword and this crazy whip thing, and this one is just a big like a bunch of lattices with missile launchers strapped to them. Yeah, so I really like the the difference between like some of like the flying and stomping and like some of them are like the size of gigantic buildings. It's very cool to see that idea of I don't know, yeah, I feel like that does that does kind of make me think of the customizability of game like especially things like Elden Ring where it's like you can make builds that are completely busted in these in these very strange ways or that rely on one trick. Or you can make some that can do everything. Mm-hmm. That makes me think of that with these designs where it's like there are so many different ways to when you take from the premise, 
we're going to strap people into these giant machines that give their bodies capabilities that they would not, that are like absolutely like, you know, superhuman. You can take that so far behind, like, like the, the, the starting point there is like, well, you can be faster and you can be stronger and you can be tougher and you can, you know, shoot a bunch of missiles or whatever. But if you think a little more creatively than that, there's like so many other ways to take that of like at the core, changing the way that you move and your relation to the world around you based on what your limbs are capable of doing and based on your size and your speed and where you are able to operate. It's, it's, yeah, it seems like they are very, being very thoughtful about what it means to, to, I don't know, to embrace this idea that, that people are creating the perfect like machine of war uh, and, and how that transforms people. And this is from Soft, and so I kind of have a lot more trust in them to do that than I would for many other developers. I will say, I and you know, this is a trailer, so I could be completely off. But something that I'm very intrigued by and I would be excited to see is part of me is like, does this game have like more of a legit story than any other FromSoft game? Because that mm-hmm. would be cool as hell. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems to. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. even just from what we saw, like even even if we're comparing trailers to trailers, like the Elden Ring trailers were like very careful about not even really hinting at a story and giving mm-hmm. you that the kind of like vibe that FromSoft games tend to have. And this is already hinting. There's this line, why hide behind another's call sign? And it's like, okay, so there's clear there's some kind of stolen identity thing going mm-hmm. on. There's yeah, hints of this giant war. I'll be interested to see that. I think this would be a good venue for FromSoft to explore that idea of having more story. So they can keep the kind of Soulsborne side of the company focused on that weird like the story is only told by like cackling npcs or whatever and this can have like more of a like a intelligible story mm-hmm. i think that's a that would be a smart move something that i was thinking about a lot because i don't play a lot of mech games is i was mm-hmm. like ah oh, this just looks like a, a really cool version of titanfall 2's like titan fights mm-hmm. just on a massive scale yeah. The the sense of scale in this world is so cool. The world it's design, so I have to be honest, I this is I know this is like blasphemous to say. I'm not in love with from software's world designs typically, with the mm-hmm. exception for me being um Bloodborne, which I think has exceptional world design, but the way this world just oozes like post-industrialized mm-hmm. like war is so fucking cool. Yeah. It is an environment that is not even like traversable by humans anymore it's empty of life also it's just Mm -hmm. all machinery it's like yeah it is a world that is built for machines and not for people Mm -hmm. and like i again i think from soft has a is in a good position to explore the horror of that in a way that a lot of developers like would not focus on Mm -hmm. i'm just watching the trailer again (laughs) yeah if you can't tell i've just been putting it on repeat as we talk oh my god just scrubbing through it back and forth back and forth Mm-hmm. My whole thing is my my one dream is there's one shot where you're like maneuvering through the world and the mech goes by this it goes like under this giant mech and I'm like can I fight that do I get I mean, to fight I that I feel like we have that with that big walker mech it's, oh, that's it's like that's stomping kind of true, by you yeah, in the trailer because basically I'm imagining like that opening near automata fight with uh yeah. with marks and angles and I'm like but in full mech. Yeah, that's this about, let's see, where is it? When I said that's a near automata machine right there was, 
this one like toward the end of the trailer that has these two giant rollers that are like on fire yeah that feels like a very near automata thing to me i'm actually really excited to see all of the enemy design because another thing that i think is that i frankly think a lot of um from software enemy design has kind of become monotonous i know i'm saying a lot of blasphemous stuff yeah i mean like they have it yeah they have templates that they Mm -hmm. they repeat a lot i think in a very self-aware way in Mm -hmm. elden ring they do that Mm -hmm. like uh playing with your uh, your assumed knowledge of fromsoft games but yeah it's it is interesting to see a extremely different take on that it's cool to see in a different interpretation of almost like a horrific thing because Mm -hmm. it's like their monster design has always been about this like weird unnatural fleshy monstrous creations but now this is like this is a metal industrialized horror it's i'm i'm very into it yeah it is a it is a thing that was created for a monstrous purpose which Mm -hmm. is the annihilation of other human beings and that makes its operators monstrous by Mm -hmm. strapping them into the machine and forcing them to do its killing right like like the the killing is the responsibility of the machine the machine is doing the killing but they're forcing a human to pull the trigger which is like just such a fascinating type of horror mm-hmm. maybe it'll be able to fix some of that stuff i was talking about with war games last week i mean yeah i mean like at, at the very baseline i i'm sure that it will be much more thoughtful than the the vast majority of of those games yeah. which seem to be developed specifically to avoid thinking about war in, mm-hmm. a, in a very strange way i'm very happy for you <laughs> that you get the, me too you are looking forward to this I'm yes. I need to start begging someone to let me review this. Good plan. I actually don't. I actually don't want to do that because of everything <laughs> we just talked about. Uh, I want to, unless someone wants to pay me to do it, and then I do want to do it. But I, I'm just, I'm just so excited. In that to case, ignore this. everything we said at the beginning of this episode. Yeah, in that case, actually, it's a good industry and it's working, and you should, uh, you should pay me. Mm-hmm. God, I'm so excited. That was. Um, it was very different than what I was expecting. Yeah. Much, much faster and much the scale of it, I think, in particular. Like we were saying, like it's so much of mech games is that kind of like you're in the cockpit, you're on the ground. It's like the a very like personal, like a claustrophobic kind of perspective, you know. You're strapped into this thing and there's a war happening around you. And this seems to be a much larger scale. And the the environments are just like could be i mean it's hard to tell again just from a trailer but could be absolutely gigantic and have a like a sense of freedom to explore them that that seems very intimidating did you ever play um zone of the enders those old games it kind of reminds me of that like the the way that those those environments were built (sighs) okay i'm excited (laughs) i'm glad i waited until i was not depressed well less depressed to watch that that gives you something to be happy about yes i have something to live for finally (laughs) so yeah aside from uh mourning the continuing collapse of our industry and watching the armored core trailer on repeat this week what else have you been up to so i haven't been playing very many games for fun because Mm -hmm. i was doing work this week and i traveled across the pond to london so i could go play final fantasy 16 oh wow they're making another one of those they are do you have to play the first 15? But um, I can't really talk about like actually playing the game. Uh, yeah, everybody stop listening now. But I can say that I played it and I went to mm-hmm. London and 
my recommendation is go to London. No, it's London is fine. You know, I spent a couple days in London. I went to a bunch of museums, which was really fun. Um, and I, I saw a play at the National Theatre, which was really, really fun. So I basically just spent, honestly, the majority of the week either flying, running around museums in London, or sleeping the past couple of days when I've been back. Uh, mm -hmm. But it was a fun whirlwind trip, and I will have much more to say on Final Fantasy 16 in a little bit. So yeah. Cool. Uh, what I'm about you? What have that. you been up to? Yeah. So uh, I'm going to, I guess, quickly mention two things I've been doing this week, uh, both of which will probably be expanded on in episodes in the very near future. The first thing I did was uh, I started watching, I don't know if you've heard of this, Willa, um, but there's a show called uh, Gundam, the Witch of Mercury. First off, it's Gundam, Witch from Mercury. <laughs> oh. Second off, second off, I fucking hate you for this. <laughs> so Willa, along with the entire internet, uh, started telling me to watch this show like the instant it premiered. We've talked about this before. Like I have a really rough time just like, focusing on enough to like watch sit down and watch a thing and this wasn't a thing that i wanted to watch like while playing around on my phone like i wanted to actually focus on it but in this past week for whatever reason it finally that stars aligned in such a way that i i could sit down and watch it so i watched like the first like eight episodes in one stretch because i just got completely obsessed with it for anyone else who has slacked on watching it yet, it is like the newest, you know, Gundam series. It's the first one in like a long time, I think like seven years or something. And this one focuses on uh, a girl named Suleta who pilots the Gundam Aerial, which is like the super advanced Gundam. It takes place in like a point in the, the story where Gundams, like this very specific type of mech uh, with certain capabilities that like are harmful for the pilots have been outlawed and she has the only kind of like known one uh and the the first few episodes at least take place at this this like academy like a like a military academy that's very focused around dueling so it's like you know these like mech duels that determine like a lot of like politics and stuff in in the, the school so that was the like within the first episode i texted you and i was like is this just utena like is this mech utena uh, and the answer is yes, it absolutely is Makutena. It revolves around like dueling for the right to marry one of the students, which is incredible. It has a really good ending to like, so there's a prologue and then there's like the first real episode, which is about Saleta. And the end of mm -hmm. the first episode is so good because she gets into the duel and then she wins. And then Nyarin, uh, who is like the the other main girl she's like congratulations guess that means you're my you're my groom now and so does like what so yeah love it so it's yes it's very gay it's it's like uh it's it's a great show it's extremely depressed like it starts getting really messed up mm -hmm. like especially toward the end of this first season i actually haven't started the second season yet uh, but the ending of that is who boy um Actually, the reason I haven't started the second season is because of the ending of the first. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I guess I'll need to be emotionally prepared to continue this now. Oh, let me tell you, I was like, oh, I guess we're going to have to wait a bit for another big emotional, mentally taxing blow like the end of season one. No, they just dropped something fucked up in like episode three of season two. Yeah, I saw people online talking about it, like not saying what it was, but just mm -hmm. being like, Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. that episode. <laughs> I'm just so mad because I have literally been begging you to watch this for <laughs> fucking months 
And, and I did. Finally. And you were like, oh, this is so good. Oh, it's Utena. I was like, yes. Yeah, it is. Maybe if you just listen to me. I'm sorry. I'll never doubt you again. I, you um, know what? I doubt that. You're, you always doubt me. You're always doubting yeah. me. Yeah, it's this true. Is That's not, our dynamic. This is not a relationship built on mutual respect. I disagree. <laughs> I think it is. It's just also built on mutual bullying. That is that is actually accurate. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a great show. It's gorgeous. Like mm-hmm. the the wow cool robot element is also there. It's just like lots of great, great fight scenes and great mech designs and stuff. It's gorgeous to watch, but also, uh, yeah, completely emotionally devastates you, which is a great combination that I love. Mm-hmm. Very excited to keep watching this. Very excited to uh, blow all my money on Gunpla at a, whenever I get the chance to. And again, we'll probably go into this more at a future date. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the other thing that I'm going to briefly mention is we've actually both started playing uh, Honkai Star Rail, Indeed which is the did. latest game from BiHoYo, the developers of Genshin Impact. And I think... Both of us have been kind of pleasantly surprised by how much we've been enjoying it. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's a gotcha game, like like many of their others, but it's a turn-based one. Um, so people who didn't like the gameplay of Genshin, because it's not very good, might like Honkai <laughs> Star Rail better. <laughs> wow. Um, and it also has, you know, lots of cute anime girls, which is the reason why you play these Literally games. Literally the first thing you see when you start Honkai Star Rail is cute this girl. really hot, mean anime girl. Mm-hmm. Top-tier game. Yeah. Also, uh, I guess a personal note thing I did this week was get my name legally changed, which I'm super happy about. It was a great time. I was able to go. (laughs) Thank you for the applause. (laughs) Well, uh, I was able to go through the name change project of the Trans Legal Defense Fund, which I highly, highly recommend doing if anyone is like trying to go through this process, which I also recommend, you know, like going through the effort of doing it. Again, we want to encourage everyone out there to transition. <laughs> um, the real no, purpose you, of girl mode is to get everybody to transition. Yeah, I don't know. If you've been putting off because it's a daunting process, look into the name change project. Uh, I qualified for like completely pro bono legal like guidance through all of it. Like all of my paperwork and shit was filed. I just had to like get fingerprinted and go to a hearing. Trans Legal Defense Fund is a fucking like great organization. But yeah, even if even if they're not serving your area, like look into local organizations that offer this kind of this kind of legal help. It's it's a thing that's available in many locations, so it's it's definitely worth doing. And yeah, that was great. It's it's great. It feels great. I'm glad to have it done. Uh, and in the spirit of of name change of of having a good name now, uh, I just want to shout out uh, March seventh from Honkai Star Rail, which is a fucking incredible, that's such a good name, queer name. <laughs> like to name yourself March seventh fucking top tier i love it i love her uh but with all of that fun stuff out of the way i think that's that's gonna do it for this episode this week so again as always uh you can find girl mode anywhere listen to podcasts you can find us on twitter at girl mode underscore pod or on co-host at girl mode dash pod and you can find me both of those places at robin bombas i am both of those places at the willow row but i'm also not using Twitter right now, so um, go subscribe to my Substack, transfixed.substack.com. Wow. Thanks in real marketing. I know, seriously. Well, as always, uh, thanks for listening, and in the spirit of the dearly departed Waypoint, fuck, fuck capitalism, capitalism, go, go home. home.
what was it seasonal seasonal special sushi set seasonal special sushi seasonal set. special i was trying to think of that last i was like yesterday i was just like what was that fucking phrase seasonal, seasonal special, special sushi, sushi set, set. <laughs> we were the only people in the restaurant when we got sushi and it was dead silent like they were not playing music or anything it was so bizarre oh, man. that's pretty funny <laughs> just the sound of you eating more mouth was. noises just like mm-hmm. this podcast should we record? Should we do this thing? I guess. 